pressing the button now to avoid that hilarious zinger that you, that you just gave off. Hello and welcome to Punk Goes Pod, the internet's only podcast that chronicles fearless records Punk Goes Ellipses series to answer the age-old question, hell yeah or yeah nah. Well done. Thank you. It's just occurred to me it feels slightly awkward when... One of us is introing and the other one's looking them dead in the yeah. eyes. It's, yeah. It shouldn't be awkward. We've been together for nearly ten years, but it's that, we learn uh, something new every day. It's that, that moment from every James Bond movie where it's like the gun barrel and it's just following me everywhere I go. <laughs> and I have to shoot it. I, uh, just before we get started, I want to say a big happy birthday. 21 years to uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. Ah, well there you go. Yep, that uh, that just has wrinkled my brain because I played that as a new release on PlayStation 1. Well, in that case I want to wish a happy 8th birthday to Paramore's self-titled album. Oh, there you go. But uh, the Tony Hawk one is a little bit more fitting considering what we're doing next week. But what we're doing this week is Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears as covered by Jamison Parker for Punk Goes 80s. I have never witnessed someone dismiss something so quickly. Mm. Paramore, cool. Yep. Tell us about Tears for Fears. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I upset you with that? No. I'm just disappointed. Oh. I'm joking. I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. I know that there's ice cream waiting for us by the time we've done this, so I'm quite happy to press on. Yeah, it's not the one that I that I wanted to get us, but it'll do. Yeah, look. It's fine. Ice cream is ice cream. Ice cream is ice cream. Uh, so Tears for Fears formed in 1981 from Bath, England. That's such a British name. Where are you from? I'm from Bath. I'm from Bath. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, even though like the, the, the Thames isn't the Thames, it's like probably like, I'm in Bath. It's probably like, probably not properly pronounced Bath. If it were a city or whatever in the US, it would be Tub. Uh-huh. And if it was a city over here, it would just be called Trough. No, we call them baths. <laughs> no, we call them troughs. No, we don't. <laughs> so the two founding members, Roland Orzabal, on guitars, <laughs> keys, vocals. Is that how you pronounce it? Orzabal. 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 And Kurt Smith on bass, keys, and vocals. 
started Tears for Fears after the dissolution of their previous band, the New Wave Mod Revival Act Graduate. Sick. I didn't realise that they... I mean, I wasn't a, I wasn't growing up in England in the early 80s or late 70s. I didn't realise... You weren't that, growing up anywhere then because you didn't exist. Yeah, yet. nah. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> I don't even know what my... I, I probably do know what my parents are doing, but I probably just like burned it out of my memory just because I've heard so many times. Uh, yeah, I didn't realise that there was a mod revival, essentially. Yeah, because mm. mod was... 60s. 60s. So that would make sense. Like the fact that we're already seeing like 90s stuff. Actually, no, I need to stop having this conversation because it was literally 30 years ago. Mm. I was about to say the fact we're seeing 90s stuff like 20 years after. No, we're not. But like you would have, if it goes by three decades, then at that point it would have been the late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. Not, not you know, something from 10 years ago. Like a, a yeah popular trend ten years ago is coming back now. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, what is time? It's not really. It was mod was more the fashion, wasn't it? It wasn't really a music style. I, I don't think so. I feel like the Who were classed as like a mod band. The Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't tell you authoritatively. My I feel like my exposure to mod is I get the feeling like when Austin Powers is in the 60s that's what that's heavily what they're going for is mod I think the Who were like a mod kind of yeah like they were yeah did you say the Who before? I did just say the Who ah fuck sorry (laughs) after I've just ragged on you for like ignoring what I said um (laughs) yeah like to me it's the just the sort of Slightly dandy, like the suits and the hair and the shift dresses and that yeah. kind of thing. What did I ignore? You ignored me celebrating Paramore. Oh, yeah. We're both terrible. Sorry. That's why we're together. So Tears for Fears were a part of the MTV-driven second wave British invasion of America. Other artists Oof. include Bananarama, Culture Club, Def Leppard, Depeche Mode, and previous band, previous band that we've covered, a flock of seagulls, amongst many, many other acts. What did you oof at? So, what was the a? What was the first British invasion? Of like B? the Beatles, the Rolling right. Stones, and B. That's a very poor choice of words. Like, pretty much like the history of like every Anglo-Saxon country is British invasion. I yeah, I guess, and I mean. The Brits and the and the Americans have, you know, a history of well, not a huge history, but a history of fighting one another. But like at that point, like we've been allies, and I'd say we because I'm putting Australia and New Zealand in there as well. Like America and England have been allies for years. I don't see like the British invasion of uh, of friggin' America. Um, the British music invasion of America. It would be different if it was like German electronic music and they were like, and it got popular in Poland and it was like, oh, the German invasion of Poland. That's true, yeah. That's where it would be like, oh, maybe uh, contemplate that one. Yeah, true. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I don't really have, I don't really have a problem with it. Yes, Britain has colonised a lot and, you know, Fuck them, I guess. But 
<laughs> All right, we need to course correct. That was my fault. So the song was the third single from their 1985 album, Songs from the Big Chair. Critics have regarded the song as the band's signature song alongside Shout. That is a good song. That is an excellent song. And I... So yes, they did write and record Mad World. But I feel at this stage that's more Gary Jules's song. Kind of like if if you talk to anyone who's not a huge Nine Inch Nails fan and say, uh, give me your feelings on Hurt, they're going to assume that you're talking about the Johnny Cash version. Like that's Johnny Mm. Cash's song. Now, not so much Nine Inch Nails as yeah version. Uh, so the song won best single at the Brit Awards, and I've got here for a little fun. Uh, I want to quiz you on those Brit Awards. So, what year is this? Nineteen eighty-five. I think it was nineteen eighty-five. Uh, hang on, let me just. I'm gonna need some more information. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> We should insert the Jeopardy music here. Oh. What is it? Like, it's just like... I just want the awards. Well, you've linked to just the overall page. Yeah, yeah, I have. (laughs) Alright, so... We are in... 1980... Uh, 1986. Yep. So... What do you think won Best Album of the Year? 86? Yeah. God. I'm really bad at placing albums. No Jacket Required by Phil Collins. Oh, okay. Uh, I would never have guessed that in a bazillion years. Outstanding Contribution to Music Slash Brits Icon. Think, think, like, two very, like, very prominent British gay icons. George Michael? So, Wham, yes. Ah, yeah. Who's, like, who's probably the most prominent, like, British gay icon? Elton John? Elton John! Yes! I'm still standing! Uh. And where did they host it? In Britain. Uh, <laughs> the Grosvenor House Hotel. Thank you. What's that? It's the Grosvenor House Hotel. What's the Grosvenor House? I don't know what that it's is. the Grosvenor House Hotel. It's what it is. It's originally named the Grosvenor House Hotel as a luxury hotel that opened in 1929 in the Mayfair area of London, England. Why are you quizzing me on that? What is know. the significance of it? I don't know. I don't know why they, why they mentioned it in the Wikipedia article. I thought it was funny. Okay. So the song was actually a last minute, and that was uh, that song being everybody I'm wants still to. Standing. Yeah, I'm still standing. <laughs> the song being uh, everybody wants to rule the world was actually a last minute addition to actually. the album. Actually, actually, yeah, you got to emphasize every letter in that. Orzabal convinced producer Chris Hughes to include the to include the everybody wants to rule the world as the final song to the album after playing two chords on an acoustic guitar for him. I'm going to go ahead and guess those two chords were... Bah, bah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a pretty safe bet. <laughs> 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 oh, 
The song's initial final line was Everybody wants to go to war Contributing to Hughes's indifference to the song Chris Hughes admitted in an interview with Mix Magazine That he thinks the song is bland as hell But he thought it would garner success in America So he's That's that's such a backward That's such a backhanded compliment Like this song is not really like Lively enough for us here in England But Americans are stupid enough To like eat this shit up I'm just it's that scene from Back to the Future where he plays Johnny B. Good and he's like <laughs> he's like so uh might not be ready for it yet. You might not be ready for it yet, but your American friends are gonna love it. Fucking hell. <laughs> I wanna look this guy up. So British songwriter Chris Hughes. I'm picking that's him. Yep. So okay, also known as Merrick. Also <laughs> Is a British music producer, songwriter, and drummer for Adam and the Airs. Nice! And he's talking about this song being boring. Jesus. <laughs> I just want to see what else he's done, because that's, like, what a shit thing to say. But, like, how, how smug would you be um, being, what's his face, Roland Orzabal, just being, like, like, fighting with Chris Hughes, like... He really doesn't want to put that on the album. They they get it through, and it's like their biggest Mega song. Hit, yeah, like, yeah, probably probably their biggest song, if not like comparable to Shout. Shout is really fantastic, though. I love that song. It is a good song. So yeah, Hughes has worked with many artists, including Adam and the Ants, obviously, <laughs> Tears for Fears, obviously, Robert Plant, Paul McCartney, Peter Gabriel, Rick. Okasek, Wang Chung, uh, Lloyd Cole, don't know who that is, John Bon Jovi, Tori Amos, Amos? Tori Amos. Whoops. Enya, those are the ones I could recognise. So, yeah, he's got some credits to his name. Sort of. (laughs) Like, those were some big names, though. Yeah, but, like, they weren't the biggest. True. And I like that he thinks that everybody wants to rule the world was was bland as hell, but yet worked with Enya. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who, though, to be fair, this song is no Orinoco flow or whatever it's called. Where is Enya from? Is she American? Is uh, she English? Ooh, that's a good question. Hang on, let me look it up. So while you're looking into that, I'll uh, read some more facts about Irish. Oh, she's Irish. So the song is set in the key of E-flat major. The band stated the shuffling drum beat was inspired by the Simple Mind song Waterfront. Okay. Cool. Sweet. Uh, the song's lyrics detail the desire man has for control and power. Mm-hmm. And the video was directed by Nigel Dick, Sweet Child of Mine, Wonderwall, and Baby One More Time. Okay. Um, I realised I just went straight into his credits without saying, oh, he also directed the videos for... That's fine. Um, so, the song reached number two on the Australian Kent Music Chart. And we had to look into this. Because this is the first time I've come across the Kent Music Chart, not the ARIA charts. So this is like the charts that existed before they were the ARIAs? Yeah, something. and it was... I, I think so. And it was it was basically like a guy who like had a publication. Like okay. it was the Kent Music Journal or something. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, number two on the Australian Kent Music Chart and uh, number two in the UK and reached number one in Canada, New Zealand and the US. 
So, I guess Chris Hughes was kind of right because it it only came in number two in the UK, which is like, I mean, it's saying only came in number two, but then yeah. it did it did reach number one in the US. Uh, <laughs> true. I'm keen to know what beat it out. Yeah. In um the UK in and the Australia. UK. Hold on, let me. Ah. Um, uh, what? Uh, I'm just having a I'm having a think what it could have been. Oh, that's a good point. Point. I nearly said question and point at the same time. That's a good point. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like what was like British music at the point at that. At the, at the, I almost said it myself. At that point. At that point. <laughs> you coined a new term. Uh, like on. a flock of seagulls. Um, was that when I ran so far away and came out? Thereabouts. Blondie? No, Blondie's American. Well, I mean, just because it's... Yeah, it doesn't need to be a, a UK-based group, but... Man, it is not easy to figure this stuff out. No. I want to know, but I also feel way too lazy to look it up. Is it something that I should start doing? No, no. Like, that was just me out of interest. No, but I'm interested now as well, so... I am going to patent... An app idea if someone wants in on it that we somehow digitize historic chart info so it's easier to search on an app and not via the web TM TM TM. Oh, there would be a way that you could do it and it would be like it wouldn't be easy to do, but it would be once it's done, it would be so easy to just go, okay, I want the UK charts this year, this week. There's yeah, there's gotta be like, literally just a search engine for chart positionings over the last, like, 60 years. Yeah, you'd have so much work to do, though. Yeah. So much work to do for so many countries. Are there any app developers who want to get in on the ground floor? I'll give you 40% of the revenue. Cool. Yep. Get 60 for your idea. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so- that's IP, baby. So, what do you think of the song? I like it because I can't quite place how it makes me feel emotionally. It's such a weird song, isn't it? It's very, like, to me it feels optimistic, despite, because it's in, what was it? E-flat major. Ah, so it is a major key, that's good. Um, I think. I don't know. Yeah, mine is the the negative key. Yeah, but but the flat bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that negate the major bit? Not necessarily. No, okay. No. This has been um, learning your chords with Emma and Sam. Um, it, because I always just heard it as very similar to like We Can Be Heroes or something. Like mm. Bowie, like it sounds very triumphant. Um, like to me, it's a feel good track, but obviously it's masking. Well, it's not even masking. Like the lyrics are so obviously bleak yeah but i kind of love that like it sort of feels a bit like nihilistic in a way like the the guitar at the start is it's not surf rock but it's it's at least it's it's on the sand it's on the beach <laughs> it's it's it sounds kind of beach musicy. yeah and yeah like he is talking about like everybody wants to like rule the world like the man's desire to like to take and seize power at whatever costs and like the way that even back then that we were destroying the planet and yeah and even like government control and being watched 
Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he'd reread Big, um, not Big Brother, 1984, pretty soon before this, and was like, oh, I'm inspired. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. Oh, damn. It's, uh, and, and the film clip does nothing to, to help, because it's just him driving around. Mm. Um, it's like Southern California, and I think bits of, bits of Nevada. Right. Um. I I don't know if you were paying too much attention to the video. I was not. Oh, okay, I wanted to discuss his hairdo. So Isn't it just like a I'm literally picturing um what's his name? Rick Astley's head. Like probably mo- just on Rick. I'm just picturing Rick Astley. More curly, but then like when it goes into like side shots, he has a long ponytail. Ooh, I did not notice that. Yeah, he has a real long ponytail. Yeesh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, like, he looks like, from like, front on, he looks normal. And so he had like, sort of like, he had, like quiffed r- and like, all sort of... Well, not really like, not even like quiffed or anything. It was just like... Or quaff, I don't know. It was just like curly, like a curly sort of short, like a bit shorter than mine now hairstyle and then like it goes like the camera like goes around and then yeah he's got like this long ponytail so he's essentially got like a mega like rat tail action well not a rat tail because it's in a ponytail yeah but like is it swept like if he undid that ponytail would there be hair like length around the sides of his face or is it all just no. that? that no. Ooh, it looks like it looks like he has two hairstyles that's the upsetting thing going me. on if it were just like long hair pulled back sick but it's the fact that no, he's like not. deliberately kept like hair at the nape of his neck long, but everything else is not. That's really weird. It, it's I'm it's sorry. not. No, I I agree with you. Like it is upsetting. Um, I just yeah, it, it's a, it's a, such a strange song, and I don't know if this is necessarily necessarily the sort of genesis for um, you know those happy sounding songs that are really bleak in lyrical content. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of pumped up kicks. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, really happy sound again, like it sounds like you'd play it on the beach. Yeah. Like when you're driving along the, the, the coast. Um and it's not yeah. <laughs> it's not that at all. I really like Oh here here it is. Like you can see a little bit of him on the left in the back. Ooh, that's a yikes. He has definitely turned his back on Mother Nature with that haircut. <laughs> um, and it's it's kind of it's kind of upsetting because like the other guy, um oh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name. Um the other guy looks very British. Yeah. Um but Randy, Randy, or- Roland Orzabal, sorry, Kurt Smith, is, he looks very British. Yes. But Roland Orzabal, um, who's singing the song, he's a handsome dude. He looks kind of like uh, Dave Franco. Like, he's yeah. he's a handsome looking dude with some big teeth. And, like, then you, <laughs> then you turn around and he's he's got something horrid Why going on. Why you have to click your teeth together? That was dark. <laughs> That's so upsetting. Um, <laughs> someone out there's just discovered their fetish. By the way, I'm sure. Please don't. 
<laughs> or at least monetize it for the oh, both of us. What? No, um, I'll happily do that for money. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, haircut aside, like, I've always, like I said before, I've always placed this song within the context of, like, feel-good track. Yeah. And I guess in a sense, this is kind of feel-good in the way of, like, sort of that meme of, like, I don't know, in my... Oh, I can't even... Th- but, like, left panel, like, someone crying, saying, oh, no, nothing matters. Right panel, someone wearing sunglasses on a skateboard going, nothing matters! Yeah. Like, it's kind of freeing in that way, but also I kind of... Yeah, I like that there's that tension between the sound and the lyrics. Yeah. Like, even just straight off the bat, like... Welcome to your life. There's no turning back. Even yeah. while we sleep, we will find you. It's just like, whoa, yeah. like, that's upsetting. Yeah. But also, the song is great. And, like, it's just done in that that really British, like, new wave style yeah. where it's it, it comes directly from the throat. Yeah. And, like, the lips are person. Everybody. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I listened to the entirety of... Uh, this album, which I have forgotten. I am just forgetting everything tonight. That's all right. Um, the Songs from the Big Chair. It's a sick album. Like, it's... Yeah. It's... I I do prefer, like, when it goes into, like, the synth territory. And it also has quite a bit of saxophone, which I mm. feel was a pretty popular thing in the 80s. Yeah. It's the saxophone. Yeah. Yeah, on, like, just new wave tracks and... Yeah, it's um, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> it's just he also just sings in sort of like not a happy way, but like it almost feels optimistic. Like this is your life now. Yes, you're being watched by the government, but you know, keep moving on. <laughs> yeah, it. In a way, it's. I guess it's sort of like all-star in the sense of, like, things are fucked. But hey, enjoy it while it lasts. Like, even just the, yeah, help me make the most of freedom and of pleasure. Nothing ever lasts forever. Mm. It's sort of, things are fucked. There's not much we can do to change it. So we might as well just vibe until we're dead. It's that, that... I mean, it came from something else, but it was it got turned into a vine of just a guy who was like, the world's burning. Let's masturbate. Oh my god. It's like, the world's burning down. We might as well just pleasure ourselves. Jeez. <laughs> I think, like, something I find really sweet about it is the bridge. Like, yep. there's a room where the light won't find you, holding hands while the walls come tumbling down. When they do, I'll be right behind you. Like... Again, it just has that sort of nihilistic feel to it, but in a way that is kind of reassuring almost. Yeah, like it's it's all ending, it's all crumbling, but I'll be there with you yeah. to make it a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. It just, like, when you're at the... Bleh, when you're at your worst in terms of just thinking, like, well, what's the point of all this? It's like, there doesn't have to be a point. Mm. Like, this is fine. Yeah. Some people are just people. Yeah. <laughs> Not everyone is ruling the world. 
I don't know. It's um, I do want to briefly mention mm. the Mad World film clip because I think I remember it vaguely. You yeah. Know. So is that the one where the guy's just like that, fucking flailing? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So I don't know. I think I was put onto it by my buddy Ryan. Um, I don't know how we were talking about it. It might have been because. The Gary Jules version played on the trailer for the game Gears of War. Oh, okay. So, like, that was... Would have been around at the time when his version was very popular. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, go and watch the film clip. There's a really funny bit in it, but I'm not (laughs) going to tell you what it is. And so there's, like... They're in, like, a really old Gothic-style mansion. And there's a bit where he's just standing and singing and looking really melancholic out the window. And there's the other guy, like, like he's looking off into the distance and you see what he's looking off into. And it's just, it's the garden of this mansion. And the other guy is just like dancing, but he's like doing this sort of like really weird, like gesticulating with his arms, but his face is stone faced as well. And it is, in a word, hilarious. Like, it is really funny. Um, I doubt they intended it to be funny, but here we are. It is very great. <laughs> Just quickly before we pivot. So, March 12th, 2021, Amber DeLuca Tao from Tone Deaf wrote an article that this song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, had returned to number one on a Billboard chart because it had been used in a film trailer. Oh, wow. So I, can't, I love when, like, just because of streaming yeah. and stuff, like, yeah, there are all these gaps in, like, younger people's music knowledge where, like, they hear a song on a trailer they hear, and they look at Shazam. I don't know if kids use Shazam anymore. But, like, they look it up, stream, and then, like, you just see these really interesting little, like, oh, this album or, like, this song is, like, popped back into the charts after however long. Um, so, yeah. Uh, just to quote the, uh, sorry, I got distracted by our cat who's looking very adorable. Um, yeah, the article says, right now, as per Billboard, the track has made its return not to the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100, but rather the number one spot in their alternative digital song sales chart. Oh, wow. Uh, according to MRC data... In approximately 10 days, the song's downloads increased by 704%. The song's resurgence in that chart might seem peculiar at a surface level, but as Bill Ward report, the song looks to have blown up in this regard due to being a part of the movie Land, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. I have not heard of that movie. Nor have I, but good on it for bringing this back in. Because it's just... It's one of those songs that you do want to keep sort of repeating of yeah. like you want it to sort of stick around I guess I, I, I think a sort of more recent um, sort of version of that I guess it's not exactly the same but um, there's a Post Malone song where he has a line about Ozzy Osbourne oh. and a whole bunch of like really young people are like who the fuck is this Ozzy Osbourne that he's talking about and so like instead of Ozzy Osbourne cracking the shits like Post Malone got him on one of his songs. and That's it was like, right, yeah. Yeah, so Ozzy Osbourne's on a Post Malone song because all of these all of these Gen Zers were like, who is Ozzy Osbourne? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, Zoomers. I, I don't know. 
Sorry, you go. They're going to be alright, is all I'm saying. I just feel like that's the right way to do it, instead of being like, oh, you young kids, don't get off my lawn. Get off my lawn, you don't respect old music. It's like, well, why don't you bring someone who was, like, hugely popular in the past mm. and get him to, to do music with someone who's now hugely popular? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, I, I, I like that. Yeah. So, are we moving on? I think so. I think, for me, like, just... One last thing is I remember this song was on the playlist of our friend's wedding that we went to a couple of years ago. Okay. And it just, again, like when you sort of skim beneath the surface, it's like, ugh. But at the same time, yeah, it falls under the category of songs where the general sentiment is like, things aren't perfect, but we're here, you're with me, we'll be okay. And I find that really comforting. I would have probably gone with, um, I'm just getting it up now, uh, the song Head Over Heels. I do like that song. Da, 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 da. Newfound Glory do a really good cover of it. Ah, mm-hmm. Good work, Newfound Glory. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to Jamison Parker. Let's do it. for Jamison Parker. Yes. Operational between 2003 or 2005, uh, Jamison Parker hailed from Orange County. The OC. Welcome to the OC, bitch. Uh, the band consists... Whoever you want me to be. I'll be Jamison Covington if you want me to be. <sighs> the band consisted of Jamison Covington on vocals and guitar... And bassist slash drummer, Parker yeah. Case. Uh, so, their origin story was essentially that Jamison Covington was feeling like his life was going nowhere, working at a Piggly Wiggly <laughs> supermarket in Guthrie, Kentucky, at which point he decided to move to Orange County. Can I just say I love that there is a franchise... Called Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. What's um, the one in Bill... Oh, Ziggy Piggy. Ziggy Piggy. But there's... um. Did you ever watch the movie Win a Date with Tad Hamilton? No. Nah. One of those, like, really crap sort of 2000s, like, mm-hmm. cute ones. It had... Ah, oh, who was it? I think it was Josh... Josh... Duhamel... Duhamel... That, yeah, he was Tad. And then there was someone else who was, like, the nice guy who, like, ends up... Anyway. Anyway. But, yeah, they work at a Piggly Wiggly... Piggly Wiggly. Um, so... They also have one called a Wawa in America. 
<laughs> Hanging out at the Wawa. Wawa Wewa. <laughs> so, Jamison, he moved to the OC and then he was introduced to Parker Case, the drummer for the band Astoria, whom J- Jamison was a big fan of. Who? I, should, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, the two hit it off, forming the short-lived duo. So, post Jamison Parker, Jamison Covington formed the shoegaze group E for Explosion with his wife. His wife! And he also <laughs> started the band Haunted Houses with former Finch guitarist Randy Stormayer. He started the uh, the store franchise Wewa and opened it up next to a Wawa. Sure. <laughs> Uh, Parker Case joined Say Anything as their drummer and is now the second longest serving member behind Max Bemis. So I was reading up on Jamison Parker before because I remember the name and that's about it. Um, And then we listened to like the one single that they had during their very short tenure, which was... I'm sorry, it feels like a shockingly short tenure. Two years. Yeah. Is really, really brief. Like, we've done some, some bands that are that are not around anymore, and yeah, they might get to, like, five to ten years. This just feels like a blink-and-you-miss-it kind of band. Yeah, it's weird. Like, uh, so yeah, they had... So in their two years... They released an EP, so Notes and Photographs, in 2003, and an album titled Sleepwalker in 2005. During their time, and I'd love to know who wrote this Wikipedia article. I wonder if there's... I don't know much about Wikipedia. I feel like you could probably figure that out pretty easily, but here we are. So yeah, in their two-year... It's probably that poor bastard that's edited, like, three million... Like oh, yeah. I don't know if it was that much, but it we was... We should get him on the pod. It was so many. So yeah. many. He just looked so tired. So, yeah, in their two years of operation, they managed to play over 200 concerts across the United wow, States. Wow, that's work. Yeah, and so... Well, also, don't forget, like, these. this is the scene that does uh, underage and 18-plus shows. So, like, you would have the underage... Well, over here anyway, you would have the underage shows do- during the day. And yeah. then they would come back out during the night time and play the over-18 show. Yeah. And so the law goes, I guess, on April 25th, 2003, the duo went to Skate and Surf 2003 in Asbury Park, New Jersey, where they randomly performed so-called guerrilla sets at merchandise booths and at a nearby hotel. The arising buzz around them was overheard by one of the festival's bookers, who immediately hired them to replace a band that had dropped out at the last minute. Having no time to think of a proper band name, the two combined their first names and played an all-acoustic set as Jamison Parker. Their rudimentary but convincing performance quickly gained the attention of several record labels and finally landed them a recording contract with Interscope Records. Wow. And so then in August 2003, they recorded their debut EP. They then went on tour with Straylight Run, who was ex-Taking Back Sunday member John Nolan, I think, and maybe his partner, I'm not sure. And then toured with the likes of Plain White Tees, Motion City Soundtrack, and Coheed and Cambria. And then they did, um... Where are we? And then, yeah. some By the time they were sort of back to touring again at some point, they already had 
well, they had their album. Then in June 2005, they recorded their cover of Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, for Punk Goes 80s. And this was the catalyst, it seems. But then it says here, like, however, due to their busy schedule, they did not have the time to rent a proper studio. Instead, they recorded the entire song while on tour. A hotel room became their recording studio, their laptop served as their mixing console, and a bathroom closet was turned into a vocal booth. Yeah, that seems about right. And then July 12, 2005, so a month after they did that, they or their album Sleepwalker was released. They did a TV appearance on Fuse's Daily Download, where they gave an acoustic performance of Best Mistake, which is like their one single. Mm-hmm. And then... Apparently from there, so to quote Wikipedia again, while the popular demand for Jamison Parker was at an all-time high, the band's internal chemistry decreased steadily up to an incident where during a concert, Covington walked off the stage in the middle of the band's set, leaving Case behind. <laughs> from there on, it all went downhill with a continuous lack of enthusiasm until Jamison Parker gave their final performance at Chain Reaction in Anaheim, California on November 5th, 2005 and cancelled the remainder of their scheduled tour dates with the Juliana Theory. On November 8th, 2005, Covington officially declared the disbandment of Jamison Parker. In an announcement posted online, he made it clear that he and Case would not be collaborating again in the future. So, like... So, like, it was barely two years. Yeah. Like, it's... Yeah. Kim Kardashian has had marriages both shorter and longer than that. But, like... They just had such a whirlwind, like, they were literally like a flash in the pan band. Mm. Like, they got picked up by fucking Interscope. Yeah. Makes me wonder if one of them got, like, a big head. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that person is, uh, Jamison. Possibly. Because, I mean, if Parker, Parker was already in a band, like, he, he knew what it was like to sort of be up there on stage and playing. Yeah. It's just, like, I'm super, I'd love to get one of them on the pod. Yeah. To just be like, what the fuck happened? Because. Well, we don't have any E for Explosion songs, but we do have Say Anything. We do. To talk about at some point. But like, because yeah, listening to Best Mistake, and we were sort of talking about it, and like, it literally, it's such an object or like an artifact of its time. Oh, yeah. Like. The just, aesthetic, the style, the clothes, the sound is just, yeah, very 2005. Yeah, and yeah. so I want to go and listen to the rest of that album just to get fully immersed in, like, what the fuck was it that made them so mm. huge? Because I definitely remember the name. I remember them being big, but again, I just never got into them. Like, I, I, I wonder if they had live musicians... I assume they probably did have, like, live members. So under past members, so it has Jamison and Parker, of course, but then there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other people listed. Hmm. Which could be live or studio musicians. Yeah. Because if it's just the two of them going around, you don't have, like, there's not five people. So, like, say you and I are in a a, a band with Richard S. He and... <laughs> Two other people. Um, Boss. Boss and... Uh, Jamison. Steve Harwell. <laughs> uh, no, not Steve Harwell, because he doesn't believe in wearing a mask. Well, True. We, well, we assume he doesn't believe in wearing a mask. True. Rebecca Black. 
There you go. So sure. you, you, me, Richard, Rebecca Black, and Boss are in a band. I love it. Yes. And when Boss is giving you the shits, you can then go and just hang out with Richard. True. Whereas if it's just you and Boss and he's giving you the shits, you can't do anything. You're just stuck with <laughs> this one person. And I'm assuming that they weren't... At that stage, yes, they were signed to Interscope, but they were probably still only travelling in a van. Oh, and that's like... Yeah. I'm not under any... um, Like, what's the word? Delusion that, like, they were living the high life kind no. of thing. But to receive that level of attention... In a two-year yeah, window, it's, it's fucked. It's shocking. Like, like it's, it very much. It reminds me a lot of like Daphne Loves Derby. How like that was obviously a moment in time mm. where there was obviously a a real market for this kind of music. So they were like, "Fuck yeah, let's do this." And it was like the first song on Last FM to reach one million plays. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's super. Like it's just interesting, and like I can fully understand how that would take a toll on you just being like wow like all of a sudden we're on the road touring off like fumes like yeah yeah, it's just it's fascinating I just find their whole thing fascinating fascinating yeah anyway what do you think of this song that was recorded in a bathroom closet in a hotel though I literally feel like Jamison and Parker were listening to the album Give Up by the Postal Service, which was released on the 18th of February 2003, and they went, fuck yeah, and then okay. they recorded this. Yeah. And that is my theory. I have not listened to that album, so... So, the Postal Service was, was <clears throat> I guess... Pardon a, me. Yeah, a collaboration between singer-songwriter Ben Gibbard from Death Cab... Uh, yep. And Jimmy Tamborello, who also records under the name Dentel, I think it is. Sounds like a toothpaste. Yeah, it's nine out, of, nine out of nine out of ten dentists recommend Dentel. I think it's just Dentel. Um, and so, like, obviously there are bands and artists that sound like the Postal Service that have come since. There are bands and artists who would have come before them, but. Give Up is probably one of the biggest and, like, best examples of, like, what they term as, like, indie-tronica or, like, indie-pop. Mm. And, again, it's just the sort of, like, the sort of synthy, like, I can't, like, sections and, like, sort of, like, glitches and, like, bips and beeps and boops. Yeah, it's very and, bubbly. And, like, very just sort of spacious. And yeah. Like, like, I literally feel like they would have been listening to this in their van or whatever and they're just like yeah and then they did it yep and like i appreciate the direction they took with it but it just got me thinking like man i'd love to hear the postal service doing this as, as similar to this or in like a full band get up so like do the postal service do like guitars and drums or is it all electronic it's all electronic okay yeah but like i would love to hear a version of this cover that the Postal Service did instead. Yeah. And it's just interesting because, like, there's some very vague parallels between the duo that is the Postal Service versus the duo that is Jamison Parker. Mm. Except that they didn't blow up and, like, blow up on each other and then disband. They just kind of did their thing, released the one album, I think, and maybe a couple of, like, 
extra bits and then just pieced out. And Jamison didn't marry Zoe Deschanel for a while. No. Yeah, I... I don't know, like, it is very spacious. Like, if this was, like, a 20-minute track, I could go to sleep to it. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't challenge me. Yeah? Do you enjoy it? Like... I I enjoy his vocals. Yeah. I think he's a good vocalist. Um... I think it's well thought out. Like, yeah, as I said, like, it's bubbly. Like, it's... Yeah. It definitely goes with more of that... Like, how we were saying, like, the sound to Everybody Rules the World is very positive. Like, I feel like this is even more so positive. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, it does a little bit sound like music that would play on, like, a... Telstra ad or something though like it sounds which is funny you say that because such great heights by the postal service uh, played on a Telstra ad the Telstra song that's what I was thinking that's what I was attributing it to we should chuck in a little snippet of it here I reckon just for reference but yeah that's exactly what I'm talking about yeah Yep, 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 yep. Yep. <laughs> no, I've listened to that now and I'm like, yep, that's a hundred percent that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting, isn't it? Like I like the story of how they recorded it yeah. as well. Like that's that's definitely like I love when musicians have to get creative uh, in the ways that they record a song. And again, if I can jump in, I really like like, I feel like Jamison Parker might have taken a fair bit of it, and, like, I'm just truly, like, projecting here, but I feel like they could have taken inspiration from the Postal Service because the reason they got their name, the Postal Service, is because this was before the time of, like, Dropbox, mm. G-Drive, that kind of thing. Oops, it's not a podcast if it's not my phone going yep. off. <laughs> um, but they had to mail demos to each other on burned CDs through the mail. So Jamison Parker or... No, the Postal Service, well, that's hence ki- the name. That's also kind of... So, Jamison had to go back to... Uh, Piggly Wiggly? Piggly... Not Piggly... <laughs> not the state. Uh, Guthrie or wherever it was. Kentucky? Was it Kentucky? Uh, I think so. Um, we'll just say Piggly Wiggly. We'll just say Piggly Wiggly. He had to go back for a brief stint after he had met Parker, and so they were sending each other... Yeah. Like, little bits while they were still keeping in touch. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I... I am a little bit melancholic that they didn't do anything else after this. Well, yeah. they did, but, like, they didn't do anything as Jamison Parker after this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, the more I read up on them and the more I sort of compare, like, just truly made-up parallels in my brain between them and... The Postal Service. Like, I just really want to do a deep dive into that album, and yeah, mm. I'd love to be able to speak to at least one of them and just be like, "Tell us everything." And I'm kind of sad that like they really could have been almost like the emo 
Simon and Garfunkel, Hall and Oates, or Tears for Fears. That was two members yeah. with like yeah. studio members. Like, yeah. you didn't you didn't see that in that scene at all. Like, they were always you know big five or four piece bands. Like, yeah, I I just I wish there had have been a bit more. Yeah, from them. I don't know. Like, never say never. I guess. Yeah, but who knows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel like I'm becoming very lamentable at the moment. Oh. I don't know if lamentable is a word, but... In that case, should we sort of arrange the other covers to give you... You can sort of wallow in that sad patch for a bit and then we'll end it on a high note? Sure. So the first other cover we'll speak about is... My girl Lord, uh, who hey, this one definitely makes me sad. <laughs> who did a very downbeat cover for the Hunger Games Catching Fire soundtrack. It's my Hunger Games. Exactly. Um, it's not as... So, like, Lord can do anything, and she's proven that by doing a very overly dramatic cover song. <laughs> she she couldn't get away from doing that. No. It's not as... It's not as tedious or obnoxious as the other ones out there. Yeah. Um, like the ones with like the like the heavy bass drops and you know what I'm talking about. That's like it was on like every movie trailer. Oh, so like for instance, like Sucker Punch when it came out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. What was the song? What was the uh, cover song? Oh god, what was it? Man, I'm gonna have to figure that out. Was now. it Bjork? No, Bjork had a song on Sucker Punch. Yeah, no, she had Army of Me on it. Um, um Yeah, I just it's not as bad as that. I still Sweet don't... Sweet Dreams are made of this. That's right, yeah, yeah. It's like, we don't need a seven minute long version of Sweet Dreams. In saying that, this is a nearly six minute long version. This is a nearly six minute long version. It could benefit from some editing down. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, I think her vocals definitely suit the style. Yeah. Um, I did ask you, as someone who's not a Lord fan myself, not that I have any problem with her, it's just I don't listen to Lord. It was like, is this her usual style? And you said? Well, I said, like, it's slightly different in terms of overall sound, but there's 
Well, kind of hard to say. Like, it is and it isn't. Yeah. Like, the vocal style, the delivery, the harmonies, like, they're very Lord. And she does sort of explore that moody, sort of dark side of things at times. Yeah. But, yeah, like, this is a very interesting take. Yeah. Um, And it's an interesting sort of precursor to the next soundtrack for The Hunger Games, which she curated. Yeah. Like, she... Yeah, she curated the soundtrack. She recorded a couple of songs for it. She recorded a really cool cover of Ladder Song by Bright Eyes for it. Like, okay. she obviously is quite invested in the story of the Hunger Games. Or well, she was she was a teenager who had probably read them at the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and she was probably friends with Jennifer Lawrence. Well, that's the thing is, like, she strikes me as someone who would have done it out of a love for. The story it told, as mm. opposed to our six some cash. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah. Um, yeah, I. This isn't my favorite cover, but I like how she treats it. Like she sort of turns it on its face, but sort of shows the true sentiment of the lyrics. Yeah. in the way she does it. Yeah, this is. There's no beating around the bush with this one. Like this is just a an upsetting yeah. version of the song. Yeah. I do remember driving in the car once with your parents. Mm. You were also in the car. That would make sense. And a Lord song came on. It was probably Royals. And your mum sort of not, not like really cracking the shits, but she was like, oh, you Australians take all of our Kiwi stars. You can't take Lord from us. It's like, (laughs) that's fine. We probably will, but that's fine. I do love Lord. She's great. It turns out that we haven't because she's still very much a Kiwi. Yeah, no, I would like to hear more from her, but um Yeah, she's gone quiet, hasn't she? I kinda love that though. Like, as far as I know, she's just vibing somewhere in New Zealand. Yeah. Good for her. Like who doesn't want to vibe in New Zealand? I know. Like, I would if I could. Yeah. But... It's a magical place. <laughs> uh so we'll go to Aaron Spears next. So this one, I just need to pull it up. We we actually have a couple of requests this week. Yes, so this one was requested courtesy of a certain Richard S. Heath. Um, forgive me for the uh, ad thing. So, yeah, Aaron Spears posted on YouTube two months ago a drum cover uh, with the hashtags Tears for Fears Challenge and Metric Modulation. I love it. It's so good, but I can't 
it's like it's like trying to grab onto an eel. I just can't. Like <laughs> I I can't grasp once he starts. Like he's yeah. such a good drummer and it's so intricate. And he would be doing it perfectly, but in doing it perfectly, it just sounds that little bit off to me. Well, that's the, yeah, because yeah. he swapped the time signature, like, completely. Yeah. Like, we're used to just the shuffling. Yeah. And then he turns it into, like, this weird sort of mathy, like... Yeah, it's, like, it's almost like a ma- it's like a Dillinger Escape Plan <laughs> song. Like, I just, I, yeah, I, I, I can't grasp it, it just, it's just, ah, it's amazing. I love it. I love Aaron Spears, but, like... Yeah. Woof. Um, Credit to Todd Obvious on YouTube, who a month ago posted as a comment, I feel like I am deep in the woods and someone ate the trail of breadcrumbs. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I love it because... It's it's taking something that's so, so, not basic, but something so... Something so familiar. Something so familiar, yeah, and just fucking its shit up. Turning it on its head, like, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, this, like, it itched a scratch I didn't know I needed to scratch. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, scratched an itch, I should say. Um, it's, yeah. It's things like this that make me want to, like, learn an instrument properly and just sort of feel more fulfilled in my life. But here we are. Mm. But no, shout out to Aaron Spears. This is incredible. Um, we'll post a link on Twitter because it's nuts. Like, Good on you, Aaron. Yeah, no, you kill it. I don't know how... Like, to me, this is like... A thoroughly cooked version of that thing where you, like, tap your head and rub your tummy. Like, how can you... I don't... He probably wasn't listening to it. I don't know. But, like, I would not be able to do that without just sort of losing track of both and just sort of going into, like, a fugue state. Well, it's it's it's... The left brain and the right brain working together. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I can barely get my brain to just work full stop half and the time. I do remember... I do remember... I think it was my dad telling me that... Oh yeah, drummers are good at maths. Like, they had the brain for it. And I'm like, well... This was when I was learning drums. And I'm like, I'm a bad drummer and I'm bad at maths. So. <laughs> what's What's next? Uh, so I guess we'll go to just a very middle of the road cover, um, just to cleanse your palate before we finish with one that's, I guess, kind of triumphant. So Weezer did a cover of Everybody Wants to Rule the World for the Teal album. Well, you were almost about to say everybody was Kung Fu fighting. No, (laughs) I was not. Um, Maybe that's how they rule the world is by Kung Fu fighting.
Um, what do you think of Weezer's cover? It's alright. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, it's very middle of the road. I just... And again, like I say, this is someone who has a deep affection for like Weezer's early stuff. Pretty much like up to make-believe, I'm on board, and then after that it sort of tapers off. Mm. And... This is the kind of cover where if they trotted it out at a live show, I would lose my mind. I'd have mm. a great time. I don't need to hear it on a record. Yeah. It doesn't need to exist in recorded form. Yeah, that that's taking up space that an original song... Yeah. Or is, is the Teal album just covers? It's just covers. Okay. But I mean, that's take that whole album is just then taking up space. Like, Weezer doesn't need to do a covers album at this stage in their career. I think that's the bit that does my head in the most, is like, for the love of God, can they just pump the brakes already? Like, mm. they just keep churning out, like, really half-baked kind of stuff, and it's like, well, what was the point of that? Mm. Um, yeah, to me, it's sort of, in an ideal world, they would focus on quality over quantity. Like, yeah. take a couple of years between albums and release something that's a bit more fully realised instead of just... Oh yeah, here's some covers. Enjoy. Like, it's like the Assassin's Creed games. Okay. So every year, I think the first Assassin's Creed game came out in like 2007, and then from like every year until like 2015 or 2016, they released an Assassin's Creed game every year. Yeah. And then, yeah, Ubisoft were like, hey, we're taking a year off. And people were like, yeah, thank fuck for that. Take a year <laughs> off. Your games aren't good anymore. Take a year off. And, like, they took a year off and it's like they basically make the same games. They're just bigger now. And people are like, oh, my God, they're amazing. It's like, mm. yeah, they're, they're basically the same. But, like, now they wait a couple years between games. Yeah. But it's like they, yeah, they just kept making Assassin's Creed games every goddamn year it's like and it's like the sports games like there's a fifa game every year which is basically they just update is it literally the just, yeah like, like they just reskin the characters with the roster yeah so like if a player gets traded to another team they'll update that and That's there so might be fucking stupid yeah and, and a lot of the especially now with like monetization like it's getting pretty nasty because some of the stuff is like you will have to spend hundreds of hours like playing online, getting coins or whatever to get this character, or you could just buy it. But it doesn't matter anyway, because in 11 months' time, that'll be useless, because the new one will come out and making every everything up until this point null and void. That's so dumb. I'm just like, the last couple of years, I've really become aware of just how much excess there is. Mm-hmm. And, like, I know that sounds like, I don't know, the moment where I'd now take a hit off my blunt and just be like, yeah, man. But, like, like just, yeah. I don't know. You have Weezer, like, pumping out so much stuff. You have, like, the likes of Assassin's Creed and Fever pumping out, like, so much stuff. You have, like, Taylor Swift, like, pumping out, like, so, so much merch. Like, there's just so much merch literally a lot of music as well in the last year a lot of music which i guess is just her being at home because she has to be and that's yeah like it's not fair of me to have rules for one and not for the other but like to me folklore evermore made sense and then it makes sense to me why she's re-recording all her masters as like Mm -hmm. a big fuck you but 
it's just the merch for me. Like, she releases a song, it's like, oh yeah, here's a line of hoodies for it. It's just like, holy shit, girl, like, just calm down. Like, you used to release really cool, considered stuff, and now it's literally just like, oh, cool, here's the single art, we'll just slap it on a t-shirt mm. in five colorways, 30 bucks each, off you go. Like, mm. that's just gonna be in landfill. It's still not as lazy as when Kanye sold a plain white t-shirt for like 140 bucks. But at least he didn't sell like 10 different colorways of t-shirt. Like for me it's more just the volume. Like there's only so many like pop sockets and so many beach towels and so many phone mm. cases and so many t-shirts and hoodies and scarves and hats and oh like i've bought into it like i've thought like what can we do merch wise for this podcast but that's like if we ever get to that point we're not going to release merch like every three weeks kind of thing mm. like we're not taylor swift <laughs> but like even, we don't have that like, audience you shouldn't i just it sets a really to me like a kind of gross precedent because like Yes, that's an income stream, but also at what cost? Like, Yeah, she doesn't need any more money. But also, like, unless those things are being made to order, like, there's just so much surplus stock sitting in a warehouse somewhere. Mm. Like, just shirts that have, like, My Tears Ricochet or something on the front of them and, like... You don't think that sells out? I mean, it does, but also, I'm sure there are... Like, to me, I sort of follow the long tail thing where, like, the opposite of that, where, like... I'm sure a lot of it sells out, but I'm also sure there are certain ones that just will be sitting there mm-hmm. indefinitely. Like, it's just so wasteful. Mm. Yeah, I get you. And it's like, or you could just, like, every six months release, like, three or four things. Mm. Produce more of them. Refresh, like, replenish your stock as it runs out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what, uh, what her... I'm assuming that she's got a bit of control over that and not like oh yeah 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 so <laughs> i don't know maybe she's just really in a phase at the moment where it's like i really like designing t-shirts and hoodies but putting a picture just a square picture on a t-shirt isn't design i get it but like <laughs> so many of like Band shirts from the eighties were just the, the album cover yeah. on, the, on a shirt. And like I could talk about this for hours because again, I'd sort of be like, but that's because art album covers used to be a work of art in themselves because yeah. they had the LP size, yeah. not thumbnail, etc. It's like that's true. Anyway, I'm going way off topic. All I want to say is like Weezer didn't need to cover this song and immortalize it on a CD and on streaming for the rest of its life. Was the Teal album the one that had their cover of Africa? Yes. Yeah. That was okay. And again, like, their covers are perfectly fine. Like, they're serviceable covers because they literally just do a rote cover of it. So, like, they're seasoned professionals in that sense, but I don't get anything new out of it. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. Like, Like, it's not like Bowling for Soup or someone like that is, like, a level up or, like, Me First and the Gimme Gimme is because you know what you're getting out of their covers. Yeah, and it's not... Like, how often is Weezer releasing music lately? I feel like it's got to be yearly, at least. Yeah. I could be wrong. Um, yeah, because, like... It, I mean, I, I can't really speak for me first and give me gimme's or Bowling for Soup, but I also feel like their stuff is, like... It's a couple of years. You yeah. Wait a couple of years. Yeah. I don't know. There was... 
Something like the Black Dahlia Murder since their first album always released regularly every two years. Yeah, yeah. And then the last album, it took them three years and it just feels kind of icky to me. Like, it just feels (laughs) like a little bit like, oh, that's not right. So, like, you look at, like, you look at their, their, like, discography and it's like 2003, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, 15, 17, 19... Uh, like, that's all two year at the, at the end it's it's a it's a three year it's like right, so it's like yeah, 17 yeah. to 20 yeah and it's like oh oh i'm glad i'm not ocd because that would just that would just wreck me mm. all i'm saying is just cool it with the endless content and merchandise um i can get behind that yeah and our final cover, which is probably the most triumphant of the four, is by Trevor Horn featuring the UK's Robbie Williams. Robbie. Robbie. Robbie Williams. This was another Richard S. He one. It was. Remember, like, 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 didn't have the CD or the cassette for the song you wanted to listen to. You had to call up a radio station and ask <laughs> them to play that song for you. It feels like that. Like he's done a he's done a radio request. Like, oh, can you like, can you uh, not so much play this song, but like, can you talk about this song? <laughs> look, we'll gladly take radio requests. Um, yeah. Go for it. Hit us up at Punk Goes Pod. So what do you think of Robbie? It's fine. Yeah. I've heard better ways of treating this kind of thing. Like, um, I'm sure I'm drawing like a sort of false equivalence or whatever the hell you'd call it. But like Mark Ronson, ages ago, he did an album called Version, I think, where he just did like Mark Ronson produced and arranged covers of popular songs with contemporary artists Mm. and it was cool like and that to me felt a bit more slick than this like i enjoy it but it's just like okay cool it's robbie williams with Uh, like horns yeah i was gonna ask i was gonna say like remind me does it have horns or strings or something i'm pretty sure it has horns it it definitely has the same sort of sound and cadence to Robbie Williams' song Millennium to me. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, which in itself is a Bond song, but I can't remember for what movie it was. I think it was maybe on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but I'm probably wrong. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, like, it's fine. Robbie Williams is fine. Like, he's never really done anything to excite me. He's also never really done anything to offend me. So, besides, I, he had some pretty weird things to say about trans people. Oh. Last year, didn't he? Or something? I can't rem- Yeah, I feel like there was something, actually, and now I can't remember. Yeah. Like, he also has a really big tribal tattoo going all the way down his arm. Like, yeah. Remember that? That was, like, late 90s tribal. He's just... He's a... Bruv. Like, he's a... He's a chav. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, speaking of, while you were talking about your read on it, like, just looked up version by Mark Ronson on Spotify. So it was released in 2007, and I was pretty sure, but I had to check. So he does a collab with Robbie Williams on this, and they do a cover of The Only One I Know by The Charlatans, originally released in 1990. So if we chuck a snippet of that... In here. cover like of this sort of concept should feel like to me at least yeah yeah Yeah. and like there's again there's nothing wrong with this cover and the way that yeah Robbie and Trevor handle it but it again I'm just kind of like but why yeah sorry Richard (laughs) but yeah no I I I'm in agreement. I'm sort of yelling now because I'm sitting back in my chair. Yep. Uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it, it's fine. Like, like Robbie Williams. It doesn't excite me, but it doesn't offend me at the same time. Yeah, he's... Kids is a good song. He's had some bangers. Like, Let Love Be Your Energy is genuinely, like, a feel-good... Like, I fucking love that song. Rock DJ is a good song. Rock DJ is a good song. Like... Yeah. His greatest hits album, I think I pinched it back from my parents because I owned it and then mum stole it and put it in the car for like years. I think I've got it back. And it's genuinely like, he's one of those artists where you're like, oh yeah, like he actually released a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Um, but again, like it's, like he he's a crooner. Yeah. And that's, like for something like this, for instance, like it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, I don't know. And considering, like, he's British himself, I feel like, I don't know, I kind of still want that that sort of, like, Britishness it, to come out of it, and it doesn't. I think it has to either capture that sort of new wavy thing, or... Well, no, I think it has to capture that sort of new wavy feel in some form, like, be it Jamison Parker's sort of sparse yeah. postal service treatment, or... The use of synths and that sort well, of thing. Well, yeah, like, literally Weezer, they had, like, a synthy sort of key thing yeah. happening. Those ones are the most enjoyable covers to me, and I think it's 
And I know that I say, like, I love when someone does a cover and they sort of turn it on its head and do it, but, like, this song, to me, I equate it so closely with New Wave. Yeah. That if it is lacking that, I'm sort of like, what's happening? And I'm not... I'm not going to say that I'm the new wave aficionado, but if if a song comes on that has, like, a good deal of synth, like, I'm into it. Yeah. That's... Yeah. That's my side hustle, is, is <laughs> stuff like that. Like, like, a flock of seagulls, I'm into that. Yeah. You know, send me an angel, I'm well into that, you know. Give, give me that, and that's, uh, that's what I'll do of a night time. You know, it's just synth. Metal, metals, metals, my uh, my day job, <laughs> and yeah, new wave or like anything with synth. If you if it's in the title, like synth wave, yeah, I'm just I'm there for it. Maybe we should get you one of those. Well, I guess synth. How do you play a synth? I should know this. Uh, isn't it just a keyboard? That's what I thought. You don't want to get me a synth, because I would bug the hell out of you, and I would bug the hell out of the cat. I would get you headphones to plug into it. Oh, that's a good point. I I think... I like that vine of the guy, he's like, oh no, I I can't go out, I'm I'm too busy tonight. And then it's just him on the the keyboard. (laughs) I can definitely see you being like Gene from Bob's Burgers, just with your keytar or your keyboard or whatever. Anyway. Just making music out of dog barks and farts. <laughs> I think this is a good spot for us to finish. I think Ooh. that was a very lively discussion. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I think I'll do it again next week. Well, I should hope so. <laughs> uh, next week we are looking at... Looking. We are listening to and talking about the song Gorilla Radio. Uh, you're forgetting something. Oh, shit. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah, nah. Oh, um, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, for both. Hell yeah, because I want to learn as much about Jameson Parker as I can. Yeah, it's interesting. Genuinely intrigued. Yeah. Um Yeah. No. I had a great time talking about this song. Uh next week I will be doing this entire episode while playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. So get ready for that. Will not. I won't have the sound up. I'll you just... are not playing. I can do two things at once. I've had conversations with you while playing video games. What are we doing next week? You can tell them. Okay, we're doing Gorilla Radio as covered or as performed by Rage Against the Machine, as covered by Before My Life Fails for Punk Goes Pop 90s Volume 2 Japanese Edition. Sick. And I promise not to play video games while doing this episode. Thank you. I want your full undivided attention on this project. I want your full undivided attention on Rage Against the Machine. I can deliver that. Well, deliver this.